Real Mushrooms are back. Sponsor the podcast, realmushrooms.com slash Ben for the highest quality mushrooms on the planet. Now I say that confidently because I've I've searched. Uh, you guys know that I really care about the quality of everything that goes into my body. I don't want to put things into my body that's that's anything less than the best because when I put in something that's low quality, like hey, I'm going to go buy my vitamins at Costco, like, whoa, 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 hold on a minute. Like the, the quality of the, of the ingredients matters. You know, vitamin D is not vitamin D, right? Like there's different levels of quality. And oftentimes these low quality supplements are coming with additional things in there, fillers and binders and, and, and toxins that your body has to detox, your body has to cleanse. We're trying to do something good for ourselves. We do some great, like, and, and instead we're doing something bad. So real mushrooms is a, is a vetted, 100% organic, incredibly high quality mushroom company that I've been working with for gosh years now since 2000, I don't know, maybe 17 or 18, been around a very long time. And they still continue to come back because you guys support them. So thank you for supporting our sponsors, realmushrooms.com slash Ben. You're going to get 25% off your first order and 20% off thereafter. It's so much more simple than you think or than you know. We have this paradigm around muscle building is hard. These people, these quote unquote scientists who are a bunch of college students say the most you can put on is six to seven pounds of muscle in a year. And the reason I say it's bullshit is because it's a bunch of skinny twerp college students that are doing this research. This is honest. I was in the research. I was in the lab with these kids. They don't know shit about training. And the most you can put on is six to seven pounds a year. If you've watched these guys train, they, they have no idea what they're doing. So they would call me into the lab to go, hey, could you oversee our research? And see if we're doing things correctly and we're considering all the variables. And I'm like, no, you're not. So let's look at some actual uh, protocols at work. So we did one six-week protocol. <clears throat> the average weight gain in six weeks was 13 pounds. Average, that was 30 people. Lean muscle mass gain in, in six weeks was 13 pounds in six weeks. And so we're like, okay, where are all these studies that say, hey, it's only six to seven pounds a year? This is all natural people, by the way. And we did that, I think it was 2013. <clears throat> we did this, so I wrote the six-week protocol. We had 30 people in the lab. We had 60 people, 30 people in the lab doing my workout, 30 people during, doing their own workout, just kind of a control. And so we, we verified that this protocol was just exponentially more effective than anyone else's. And I'll tell you, I'll walk you through what we did, or maybe differently. I'll walk you through what I think you should do, and then I'll tell you what we did in the, in the research study. Ultimately, the body adapts to force, right? Forces being applied against the body is what the body adapts to. You guys need to realize that, right? So there's, there's no, nothing miraculous about specific exercises. There's no, there's no right exercise, no wrong exercise. There's simply force application. So it's important to know that. And then exercise selection and ultimately execution is what determines how the body is receiving force, right? So exercise selection, like what direction is this thing being applied against my body and in what amplitude? So we have amplitude and we have duration. That's kind of it, right? So if I go, okay, well, I have amplitude and duration of this force being applied against my body. And then I have my body's ability to kind of set up relative to that force being applied against my body. So I'll explain what this means. Everyone's mechanically different. Everyone has different length legs, different length torso, different length clavicle, different length uh, arm lengths, different muscle bellies, all these different variations within that. So you have to look at your own structure, your own uh, skeletal system, and your own muscular system. And say, based on what I have, what exercises are going to put the greatest amount of force against my body? So how much can I ultimately apply against my body? And how much can my body tolerate? And in which way? And so the foundation of all of this that people just miss is like force. You know, like 
forces forces an external means of implying resistance against my body, and then my body responds and re- replies with force being applied against the resistance, but in the in the means of tension or in the mechanism of tension, right? So create this end to end pulling of two uh, or basically a muscle on two bones. That's really all exercise is. Now that maybe is convoluted and, and not specific, but really here's what I want you guys to know. Every muscle has two ends. And when you find those ends of the muscle and you realize all this thing does is pull this one closer to here, this one stays stable and this one moves closer. And I have to do that with as much force as I possibly can over time, amplitude and duration, right? That's the only two variables we have in exercise, amplitude and duration, right? That's it. If you stop stop looking at exercise as this bunch of metal that that's kind of shaped in different ways in the gym and start looking at everything simply as force being applied against the body and going, well, how do I put the greatest amount of force on a very specific region of my body and ask that very specific region to adapt and, and ultimately make it as hard as I possibly can, not as easy as I possibly can, right? So you have to overcome hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years of evolutionary programming to keep you alive, to make things really easy. That's what the body's designed to do. The body's designed to make it easy. So you have to go, okay, my body's unconscious desire is to, is to move this thing from point A to point B with the least amount of resistance, the least amount of effort. And I have to say, well, no, I want to do it with the greatest amount of effort, right? So think of that, how that maybe evolutionary requires what? Requires you to be present. So if we say, the foundation of everything we do is first doing it well. I have to I have to be aware of how I move as the foundation of everything. And now here's where some people think this breaks down, is you get some people who can go in the gym and sling weights like monkeys and build muscle. And they do. But mechanically, they're different, right? So mechanically, some people have really long muscle bellies. Those people will always build muscle faster or, or yeah, faster, m- more. Um, and some people have, you know, specific limb lengths or specific insertions of where the muscles insert in their body that allow them to move move weight more effectively. Here's an example. If I have, uh, if I want to build big pecs, the further my pec insertion is away from this joint, so this is my shoulder joint right there. I'm pointing at my my east my um, say called my shoulder joint, clonohumeral joint, and the further that insertion is away from the joint, you guys can imagine. The more leverage that joint or that that muscle has in that joint, right? If it's really close to the joint, it's not going to be able to move the joint really well. So someone who has a, an insertion that's way down here is always going to build pecs more effectively. They're probably going to be a lot stronger, right? So based on your mechanics, you may have a really hard time building pecs. That doesn't mean you can't. It just means you have to be that much more precise. Right. So if we start looking at everyone's mechanics, first we look at the skeletal system. We go, okay, well, you got long femurs, you got short femurs, right? You got long arms, you got short arms. That plays in. And then we say, okay, well, where are these muscles actually inserting on on those limbs? That plays in. And then the orientation of the muscle plays in relative to what I'm trying to do. So I can sit down in a bench press or lay down in a bench press, use the bar, use progressive resistance on the, on the bar. Like most people talk about progressive overload, progressive resistance, and my chest will grow enormously, enormously. If if most of you guys would lay down at a bench press and do a bench press, your chest won't grow at all. You get you get shoulders, big shoulders, maybe you get big triceps, 
Maybe you get shoulder pain, right? Just on your mechanics because we're built differently, right? So you can't assume that one exercise works and another one doesn't. You have to go, okay, what works for my body based on principles? So if you think, what, what principles? Okay, well, how then do I find these, this insertion and origin of every muscle? Find it, learn it, understand what it is. Pec, insertion, origin, moves. It literally just is an elastic band inside my body that with elastic tension can create motion, right? And then so how do I then put resistance against that motion? That's it. This very complex thing that's, that is exercise at the most base level is literally just moving two points further apart and closer together and further apart and closer together. That's it with resistance. What this requires of you is one, paying attention to your body, two, looking for ways to make this really, really simple thing hard and long, like let make it last, make it be, have a high amplitude and a long duration. That's it. And so at, at its foundation, execution is the core, right? And then on top of that, we start looking to create variations within our amplitude and duration. At the foundation of everything we do, let's assume we're going to put that aside. You guys all do everything really, really well. And if you don't, start spending time with your coach to master it. Because guys, I'll tell you what, like playing the piano, if you just learn how to do it, if you take your ego out of it for one, two, or three months, and you just practice, it's so much more effective. Like it's unbelievable how much you how much results you can get if you just learn how to move correctly <clears throat> right some people get it quickly some people get it slowly based on a number of factors that we can talk about if you like but in general if you just practice consistently you will get it you'll figure it out mechanically some exercises may not work for you right some you can't be attached to i want to be a world class squatter you may not have the you may not have the leverage so you have to be attached to uh, I want to get, I want to build this muscle. I'm not attached to doing squatting or deadlifting or bench pressing. Be attached to, I want to build this muscle. I'm going to challenge this muscle, right? So that's the attachment we should have. I mean, if, if your goal is to transform your body, be attached to the outcome, not necessarily the path, right? So some people, squatting's out of the question, right? You could squat, but you're never going to be a great squatter. You're never going to get strong through squatting. Let's use a leg press. Let's use a hack squat. Right. So if we're attached to building the muscle, we find the best single exercise, one that works really well for you and you master it, master it, do it three times a week. Right. Truthfully. So when you start in uh, learning something, if, if you're going to learn the piano, which is the reference I always use and you practice once a week, how quickly are you going to learn? If you're trying to learn Spanish, and you practice once a week. How long is it going to take you to learn? You're going to be doing it for 10 years and you're not going to learn anything. Because every time you come back to that weekly session, you have to relearn it. You have to like, what did I learn? Do I remember? Did I do it correctly? Do it three, four, five times a week. Doesn't mean it has to be maximum effort on those days, but it's physical rehearsal. Okay. So first, master what it should look and feel like. Second, practice it often. Here's three letters I want you guys to remember forever on every exercise. Three letters. S, S, I. That's it. Set up, stabilize, initiate. So I need to set up my body in the proper uh, anatomical position to ultimately oppose resistance. So if the squat is pushing me down, I have to get under the bar. If I'm doing a bench press and I'm laying on my back or the bench press is moving down, I get under the bar and I position my body in a way that the muscle I'm trying to train is most capable of doing the work. So what does that look like? So if I were to do an overhead press, the muscle that's on the top is most likely to do the work. 
If I do a slight incline of it, shifts to here. If I do a big incline out, shifts. By shifting my setup relative to the resistance, I change the muscles that work. Yeah, makes sense. So by adjusting my posture, by adjusting my, my relative position, I can completely change an exercise, right? So instead of mindlessly doing shit without thinking about it, simply ask yourself, what am I actually using to move this resistance? Resistance in the gym is relatively consistent, right? Bars and dumbbells move down. That's pretty easy to see. Cables always move in the direction of the cable. So the resistance is, well, if the cables are going in this direction, then I need to know that my body needs to, it, it needs to oppose in that direction or this direction or that direction, right? And machines are a guided arc. So just like acknowledge what direction is this force, this external force being applied against my body and line my body up to, or let's say use the same term, set my body up, set up to, to allow my body to most effectively oppose it. Then stabilize my body. Why want to, why do I want to be stable? Because you can't fire a cannon from a canoe, which is what the great Charles Pollockman said. You need stability to create force. If you're standing on ice, you can't, you can't create force. So the more stability you can create, the better. And that's literally a graded thing over time because your ability to generate force when you're using 10 pounds is very different than 20, they're very different than 40, right? So stability can be generated in two different ways. It can be generated internally and externally. So internal stabilization is what? My body. Squatting, 100% internally stabilized. Learn to stabilize your body from the inside. Hack squat, externally stabilized. I can push into the floor. I can push into the pad. I can push into my back. I have these external things that I can support myself with. So internal and external stability are both opportunities for you to increase force production. It may sound like external stability is better in general for increased force production, which technically it is if you're only thinking about one muscle. So if I want to do, if I want to improve maximum force output on a quad, then I'd probably want to use a machine, right? Probably get, get in a hack squat or a leg extension because I'm so externally stabilized. I can produce tons of torque, tons of torque with that muscle. But the goal should be to be able to produce equally as much torque or force without external stabilization. So if you want to generate, um, maximum muscle without injury, you have to develop torque equally, right? I shouldn't say equally, in proportion. Not never, it's never equal, right? But it's like in proportion. Meaning, if I can, here's the best example. I can predict injuries like this. There, there's a very good friend of mine who tore his pec a couple of years back, and I was like, I literally said to him four times, I was like, dude, stop fucking doing that. If you if you keep doing it, you're gonna tear your pec. You're gonna tear your pec. You're gonna tear your pec. Tears his pec. Why? He had zero ability to stabilize internally, and he was stupidly strong with external stabilization. He would use six and seven plates aside on a, on a um, chest press or a machine, right? But then you ask him to do dumbbells, and he's like this. I'm like, dude, you're going to break. He's got no internal stabilization. He had no range of motion at all. He gets in these machines, and he's super strong. He would do 10 plates aside on a hang squat, two plates on a squat. Two plates. I was like, dude, you're going to, you can't get a stop. You have to stop because the differential between your ability to generate force at a muscle and your ability to generate internal stability is too great. So we don't want those things to become too far apart. So when people talk about, should I use machines or free weights? Answer, both, right? Both. In what proportion? I don't know. It depends on the goal. It depends on the season, right? So for me in the off season, I'm going to use a lot more free weights because I want to develop internal stability. 
when I get closer to a contest, I'm going to use a lot more machines because I want more force output. I want to, I want to generate, burn more calories. I want to build more muscle, stimulate the muscle, burn more calories. Right. So me, that for me, that's externally stabilized and it's much less demanding on the nervous system. As coaches, man, like you, you can send me a photo or a video of you walking and I can tell you the exercises you do best and the exercises you don't do best. You can send me a photo of you just standing there like this. You don't have to move. And I can tell you exactly what exercises you should do and what you shouldn't do, right? Coaches do that naturally without you knowing it. So the more stuff that you send us, the more accurate we can be, right? You could literally just take your shirt off and go, hey, man, show me what you look like. I can go never do this exercise again, never do this exercise again, do this, this, and this in 15 seconds. So we just do it unconsciously. And this is something that coaches and I work on kind of often is like, how do we improve execution? How do we understand mechanics? How do we understand anatomy? Our coaches are very good at that stuff. Let's say I pick four exercises for you to do and you do those same exercises for the next month. We'll see how your body develops. And based on how and the development patterns that the body lays down, the muscle development the body lays down, then we'll choose different exercises to make sure you're developing in a balanced way. So I, I always talk about like, this progressive narrowing toward a worthy ideal. So we may start with exercises and like, I don't know, I think you didn't do these well. I'm not really sure. We'll either watch you do them, which we do, or if, if you, you'll do them often enough and then we'll go, okay, it didn't do what I wanted to do. Let's change, right? Because you can't see how the body adapts to, to an exercise in one session or even one week. Sometimes takes time, right? So there, there's levels to how we kind of approach it. But in general, you know, we're, we're all very aware of how to select exercises for most effective results. Let's say I pick four exercises for you to do and you do those same exercises for the next month. We'll see how your body develops. And based on how and the development patterns that the body lays down, the muscle development the body lays down, then we'll choose different exercises to make sure you're developing in a balanced way. So I, I always talk about like this progressive narrowing toward a worthy ideal. So we may start with exercises and like, I don't know, I think you didn't do these well. I'm not really sure. We'll either watch you do them, which we do, or if, if you, you'll do them often enough and then we'll go, okay, it didn't do what I wanted to do. Let's change. Right. Cause you can't see how the body adapts to, to an exercise in one session or even one week. Sometimes takes time. Right. So there, there's levels to how we kind of approach it. But in general, you know, we're, we're all very aware of how to select exercises for most effective results. So we walk back to this, this process, like give yourself one to three months of diligent focus on like, I just want to move well. Right. So how then do we, how do we start breaking down this concept of moving well? I think I talked about this a couple weeks back. Like you got to take every joint in your body through its entire excursion. What does that look like? You figure it out. Like spend 30 minutes every day exploring your body. Like what does it feel like if I move into this position? And like do it behind closed doors so you don't feel weird. That's why I took up yoga. Like I want to, I want to feel very, very comfortable with what my body is capable of doing every day. Right. So I'm always doing stuff that's like stretch this and move that and feel what this feels like. And I'm, I'm moving stuff around in ways that is, is awkward and weird. And sometimes it's my jaw and sometimes it's my face. And like, ah, I'm trying to feel every jaw and my, in my, every joint in my body. So I'm, I understand what it's doing, what it's capable of now. So I can create a reference point of one year from now, 10 years from now. And I could see, okay, what's regressing and what's not. Right. And so like you gotta, you gotta move every joint through its entire excursion every day. And so realize all of us are fighting compression every day. We're all being compressed by gravity every day. You add weight training on top of that, you're compressing even more. If you're not intentional about unwinding the compression and ultimately lengthening, right, decompressing the body, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt or you're going to get tight. It's, it's just fact of life. So you have to literally be conscious of like unwinding it, going the other direction. Right? So every day, like 
there should be an equal amount of time, if not more, depending on your age, spent on lengthening and decompression. And I call it creating space, create space in your muscles, create space in your joints, right? Create space in your lungs, create space in your abdomen, like just move stuff. What I brought up last week about uh, stretching being more neurological than it is mechanical. So it's you don't stretch muscles, you don't stretch fascia. It's it's about desensitizing you to the amount of signal of the nervous system. It's the easiest way to think of it. It's like the nervous system, if it's constantly in one position, let's say it's constantly in this really shortened position, and then you ask it to lengthen, it's going to be like, oh, shit. No, I'm not ready to go there, right? I've never gone there in a long time. So there's going to be a huge amount of, of inhibitory signal. But don't do that. Whereas if you can spend time in that lengthened position often, and the body becomes less sensitive to that inhibitory signal, the body will go, yeah, I can lengthen. So muscle, muscle, um, fibers, they, so if this is the control, the sliding filament, right? We have, we have these like contractile, um, tissues. We'll call it contract, contractile fibers in the body. And they do this. So this is fully length and this is fully shortened. They can stay in this position and just like kind of be half ready, half on, half off based on the nervous system telling it to be there. And if I tell the nervous system to relax, it goes, but in no time does that change the length of the fascia or even the length of the muscle. It simply allows the muscle to go. The muscle doesn't change length inherently, just these, these filaments move, if that makes sense. So, so this, so you guys all know this guy, right? We all, we all have a friend like this, walks around like this, talks a little fast, kind of really tight up with your shoulders. Right. That's picture of the muscles doing that. Every single muscle in your body is either you know, chilled out or right. And anytime it can be variable based on your, this, based on the state of your mind and the state of your nervous system. But that doesn't mean that I'm changing the length of the muscle. I'm just changing the excitation of the nervous system. And again, as far as fascia, like you can look that up. You can, you can change the properties of fascia over time, but never in a single session. Like if you guys are having a hard time building a specific body part, and you can apply this principle or this thought process to everything. So the first thing I want you to do if you're having a hard time building a body part, let's say you're having a hard time building your pecs. First thing I want you to do when you go home, take your shirt off, look at yourself in the mirror and go, okay, become comfortable with what you got, right? I'm going to feel what I got. I'm touch my pecs. I'm going to touch the insertion. I'm going to touch the origin. I'm going to go, okay, this thing's laying down along my rib cage. Maybe it's my delt. Maybe it's my pec, whatever. Find the end. That's an end. That's an end. Let's just go like, what would it look like to take it further apart, bring it close together? Take it further apart, bring it close together. No resistance. No even conscious attempt to create resistance. First, see what you can do to contract it. Can I contract it from that fully lengthened position? Can I contract it? Can I contract from the fully shortened position? Yep, got it. Can I contract it? Yep, got it. Okay, good. Now, can I can I start to pose in these positions? Can I start to contract? No resistance. Teach your nervous system how to contract and pose. No resistance. Right? If you can't contract with no resistance, you have no business adding resistance to it. Right? Teach yourself to contract with no resistance. And it could be micro movements, right? It can be these like one millimeter, one centimeter, one inch type movements. Like I want to be able to good, be a good at contracting here, 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 and here, right? All the way through the range, all of them, you know, like don't just get good at one specific part. Everyone likes to get good in the middle of the range because that's where they're strong and they're weak is on the ends. So one thing you guys can train for, which I think is important. So we'll call it somatotyping, right? So we'll call it like body type. So ectomorph, endomorph, mesomorph, that definitely has some merit. Although it's not, it's not so cut and dry. You're not one or the other. It's a continuum. 
So if you guys don't understand, like ectomorphous people are very skinny in nature. I've maybe a hard time putting on muscle and fat. Mesomorph is someone who has, is pretty muscular, has a hard time putting on fat, but easy time putting on muscle. And an endomorph is someone who has an easy time putting on both. In general, you have an easy time putting on muscle and fat. And it's, and everyone's on that continuum, right? And, and there's a lot of factors there. There's a structural component. There's a hormonal component. There's a muscle fiber component. Um, there, there's probably a nutrient, uh, sensitivity component, right? Some people who are, ectomorphic are going to have a better ability to oxidize nutrients than people who are endomorphic. So there's definitely some trading considerations there. I'll give you guys what I know of it. This is a generalization. People who are ectomorphic need to train with very low volume, but high frequency. So very low volume, you know, 30, 40 minute workouts, often train with high frequency. Like I used to train an ectomorphic guy, I put a ton of weight on a train twice a day, not every day, but we train like 30 minutes twice a day, probably every other day. Uh, mesomorph, this is, this is conventional bodybuilders, right? Every professional bodybuilder in the world is, is, is probably very much mesomorphic. And so where does, where does this paradigm come from? What does every pro bodybuilder in the world do as far as their training, um, frequency? So one body part, one time a week, right? So everyone in the mag, everyone who reads magazines goes, Hey, Ronnie Coleman did this or whoever, Dorian Yates did this. He trained this body part once a week, every seven days and he got results. He's a fucking pure mesomorph. He, he could train one, this body part once every 30 days and build it more than you, right? Build it more than me. So mesomorphs are these people who can train it infrequently and can rest huge amounts of time and then do it again. They grow. So they don't, they don't actually break down tissue the same way, right? Mesomorphs tend to hold tissue. They keep the tissue. They don't break it down. Um, so they can train really infrequently. They low volume, relatively low volume and in and low frequency. Whereas ectomorphs got to have high frequency because they have a high burn rate. They train, they train, they burn through muscles really quickly. So we got to have high frequency. So you're constantly getting that stimulus of muscle building. And the other end of the spectrum, which is endomorphs, people who tend to be a little bit bigger, a little bit more fat retention. Those people typically want to train very high volume. So they want to do long duration workouts because they, they need to burn through those calories. They need their body to kind of like rev up, get amplified and burn through calories because their body's very slow at burning calories typically. Right. So we use the workouts both from a, from a stimulating perspective and from a caloric expenditure perspective to optimize hormones. So that's kind of a, the swing and realize no one's black and white, right? It's, it's always gray. It's always somewhere in the middle. You guys could probably extrapolate some stuff from there. I'll give you an example of how I um, trained during my career. I, I was often quoted as being the only guy who did high intensity and high volume. So guy, like a guy like Dorian Yates from Mike Menser, if you guys know these guys, these are guys who would do like one set to failure kind of guys, right? It's the high intensity method. That works for those guys for sure. But they're pure mesomorph. If you've ever met Dorian, the guy's just carved it a stone. He's just pure muscle. He couldn't put on fat if he tried, right? Pure mesomorph. So one set per, per body part for him, one pet set per exercise works wonders. That's great. You give that to the average guy, he's not going to grow at all, right? Can't. Can't produce the neurological intensity. Can't produce the psychological intensity. Certainly doesn't have the ability to retain muscle the same way any other people do. Right, the way Dorian does. So very specific consideration. So for me, I would do super high intensity, like really, really heavy, and I would do tons of volume. Sometimes the workouts would be two and a half hours because that just worked for me. And it allowed me to eat more food, which is a good thing for me. And I just grew. So and then sometimes I do those two work two workouts twice a day. I do five hours of training some days. I just grew. The more I trained, the more I grew. Right. So yeah, everyone's different. Thank you so much for tuning in to Muscle Intelligence. 
you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Bikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.